0: Hello, friends. Welcome. Glad you could join me. René Descartes, the 17th century French philosopher, said the reading of all good books is like a conversation with the finest minds of past centuries. Author Schopenhauer, the great 19th century German philosopher, said the task is not so much to see what no one has yet seen, but to think what nobody has yet thought about that which everybody sees. I think reading helps with this. Reading forces you to think. It causes pause for reflection. What I'm reading, that moment I live for, is when you pick yourself up from the book, pick your head up, and start to connect what you're reading to your lived experience. Or something you've read prompts a thought, or an idea for how you can apply something you've read to your life. Something where you can take action. Knowledge gets connected to other knowledge, already existing in your mind and the neurons start firing, and you just, I I love learning. (laughs) I get fired up about it. Schopenhauer said, when we read, we thereby save ourselves the greater part of the trouble of thinking. This explains our obvious sense of relief when we turn from our own thoughts to reading. Also, there's a Silicon Valley investor and modern philosopher. His name is Naval Ravikant. He has said that, you know that song you get in your head, that song you can't get out of your head? All thoughts work that way, so careful what you read. My special guest today is Alex from Alex and Books. His full name is Alex Wykowski, and he's going to talk about how in school they teach you how to read, but they don't teach us how to become better readers, how to become good readers. Alex believes reading is an active process, and he's going to give some tips because he truly believes reading is a superpower. It's why he's turned all of his attention to reading. He talks about it every day. If you can make reading fun and enjoyable for yourself, he believes you become unstoppable. He says you just can't compete with somebody who finds reading fun, since they're just going to keep growing and getting better at their craft. So they have a huge advantage. So our focus today is on reading, although reading's not all we talk about. We start with whether Alex has noticed the mass exodus from his home state since the pandemic started. He lives in Brooklyn, New York, and his job enables him to work from anywhere. So I ask whether he plans to leave. And since the presidential election is four days away, I ask him whether or not he believes Trump has any chance of winning the state of New York. Then Alex gives actionable advice for how to become a better reader and lots of book recommendations, especially for different topics like how to change your personality, which I find interesting. He provides so much value in this episode. This is one that I will be listening to over and over, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. So I'm going to bring on Mr. Alex Wykowski. Alex, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Happy to
0: So you and I go way back to the early days of Blogcaster.
1: Yeah, we have a mutual friend, uh, Joe Wells, who's a great guy. And uh, yeah, he's the one that introduced me to you and your work. So yeah, we definitely have that in common.
0: Excellent. He's in New York City. Is that where you are?
1: Yeah. So we actually met. Uh, Joe, like, DM'd me on Twitter. He's like, hey, we should, you know, hang out sometime, talk. And we ended up meeting in Central Park and going for like five mile run the first time we hung out. So yeah, that's the first time we met.
0: That's cool. That to me, that sounds like something off a TV show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it was very random. It's like first it's like online dating, now it's like meeting people online on Twitter. But the thing I've learned is that there's so many smart and nice people on Twitter, and you definitely want to be there. Did you watch the presidential debate last night? I watched it for like ten minutes, and then I'm like, I have, I have more important things that I'd rather be doing.
0: Trump said that people are fleeing New York City in droves. Is that what
1: you're seeing? Well, uh, I'm in Brooklyn, so maybe not as much people, but I did go to the city a couple of times and you can see it's kind of, you know, more vacant. So yeah, I've heard of, like a ton of people have moved to like Florida and Texas.
0: So you're in the borough of Brooklyn. Does that, does that mean you don't ever meet a Trump supporter?
1: Oh, no, it's, it's plenty of, uh, even my close friends, some are like personal, uh, they're Trump supporters. Yeah, I would say, but overall, you know, New York City is like a blue state, but they're definitely, you know, a bunch of Trump supporters.
0: Do you think Trump has any chance of winning New York, the state?
1: Oh, uh, probably not. I don't think <laughs> yeah. much people. Yeah.
0: And considering all your work is online, right? Podcast notes and Alex and Books, you could work from anywhere. Why, why stay in New York City?
1: I feel like, one, since New York City is kind of like the media capital of the world, like I met so many great authors here in New York, you know, James Altucher, Jocko Willing, David Goggins, Jordan Peterson, like the list goes on. And it's just, it's like so many smart people here, like the opportunities are great. And just like growing up here is like, it's, you know, a lot of people come to New York and say, you know, I, I'm a New Yorker, but like, I grew up here. I've lived here my whole life. And, you know, I do enjoy the convenience of a, being a 24 hour, always on city. Do you own a car? No.
0: No. <laughs> That's so interesting to me. I live in Texas and everything is so spread out. Houston is of course a concrete city. You and I are both fans of, Eric Jorgensen's work, right? He just wrote the book *Navalmanac*, which is a compilation of Naval Ravikant's tweets and other musings. There's a quote in the book that says, "The genuine love for reading itself, when cultivated, is a
1: superpower." Do you agree? Oh, 100%. Like, there's so much knowledge out there, and with the internet, there's more access to knowledge than ever before. So, the information is there. Is just cultivating that curiosity and that passion for reading and learning. And once you can make reading fun and enjoyable, like you become unstoppable. Like you can't compete with someone who finds like reading and learning fun because they're just going to keep growing and getting better at whatever their craft is. So it definitely is a superpower.
0: So true. And there's another quote that says, read what you love until you love to read. I'm curious, wh- when did you start loving to
1: read? Yeah, that's another great question. I know it's like me and the ball kind of had a similar background. Like when we were kids, we just read whatever we wanted. Because I remember I used to read like the Goosebumps series or a series of unfortunate events or like Harry Potter. And I really enjoyed reading. But then once you get to like middle school and high school, you're forced to read all of these like classic books or great books that you actually don't enjoy and you really don't understand. And that kind of kills your love for reading. And it wasn't until uh, later on in college where I discovered self-help books. and I discovered there's this book that is as educational as a textbook, but as entertaining as a fiction book. And it's like this combination of education and entertainment that really inspired my love to reading. And ever since then, I've just been a huge reader. How did you get
0: your start in self-help books?
1: My management fr- professor introduced us to How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And like that, just, that book just kind of blew my mind because growing up, I was very antisocial, did not have good people skills. I uh, grew up with a stutter, so I had a hard time communicating with people. And just, I was so surprised that here's this book. Also, it's like 100 years old, but the lessons are like timeless. And it has all these great stories about like Abraham Lincoln, all these other great people. And not only are the stories great, but the lessons are are super practical too. And what our professor would do, we would have to read like ch- three chapters every week for class, and then we would actually practice what we learned. So it wasn't just reading the book, it was actually applying the lessons we learned And like seeing the results from just like that one class was like phenomenal for me. And then I'm like, what other self-help books can I read? What what other areas of my life can I improve on? And I just been reading like self-help books ever since then.
0: That is a great story. I am thinking that would probably be your most influential life-changing teacher, right? That you ever had. That is so impactful.
1: I definitely have him to thank uh, for inspiring my love for reading. I'm sure you can even know like uh, you know, I, I haven't seen him since, but I wish I could, you know, just tell him thank you for all, all he's done. Let's shout him out. What's his name? Uh, it was Professor, Professor Walsh from Management and Brew College.
0: The number one book that's recommended on this podcast is How to Win Friends and Influence People. <laughs> I've had so many people tell me that they've bought it since listening, and it's changed their life. It changed my life too. I like to tell the story that when I was in, well, this was probably 22 years old. As soon as I got out of college, I started keeping a journal and I got the idea from Jim Rohn. And what I learned from How to Win Friends is a person's name is the sweetest sound in the English language, at least to them, right? So I would write everybody's name down that I met and underline it so that it would stand out in my journal. And then at the end of the year, I would review my journal, see who I met and who I wanted to develop a relationship with. So it's, it's becoming a student of your own life. And I only developed that practice because of how to win friends and influence people. And you don't want to be obvious about it because I have seen people, when people call you Alex after every sentence, it gets kind of annoying. So it's, it's a subtlety, but it's just powerful to gather all this knowledge that you can then apply. How do you think about knowledge in terms of its application? Like is knowledge power?
1: Yeah. So that's, that's a question I get asked a lot. And it's like, uh, I hate to break it to everyone, but knowledge is not power. It's like, it's only potential power. It's like knowing the winning tickets to a lottery ticket. But if you don't buy that ticket, it's like, you're not going to get the results you want. And the same thing with like books, like you could read all the books you want. And which is, I see a lot of people reading like a hundred books a year. But the question is, are you actually applying what you're learning from those, those books? And it's only knowledge times action, which will give you the power because like, it's only until you apply what you learn that you get the results. Like with that Dale Carnegie book, it's great that I read it and I understood like say people's name, but it's only until I actually applied it. And like in class we had to practice, like, hi, what's your name? And then repeat it back to them. And it's only until you until you go through that application process that you'll get the changes you want in life.
0: And a name is so important. My wife and I are trying to think through names right now. And each of us has veto power and over the other, so we're due in January. And we haven't come to one name that we agree with yet.
1: <laughs> we still got so a few months left.
0: Yeah, you know what? I like Alex for both <laughs> a boy and a girl's name.
1: <laughs> you get it. You can go either way. So you go.
0: And your last name, what is that, German? Polish. Polish, okay. There's a tweet on the same page as the quote I mentioned earlier from Navalmanac, the genuine love for reading itself when cultivated is a, super, a superpower. Eric included a tweet from at illacertus, that says, I don't want to read everything. I just want to read the 100 great books over and over again. Do you think it's it's better to read half as many books twice?
1: Yeah, totally. It's like that 80-20 principle where you get 80% of the results from like 20% of the effort. And what I found, like I read over 100 plus books, but I can name you like the 10 that had the most impact on me and changed my life. And like, that doesn't mean the other books I didn't learn something from, but they weren't as like insight dense or as like they didn't have all like the specific advice I was personally looking for. So yeah, like I reread like the the books that changed my life. I would reread all the time. Like, you know, how Win friends and influence people, 12 rules for life, Search for meaning uh, discipline equals freedom. Like those books, when you find a life changing book, you want to read it multiple times because there's no way you get out all the information and knowledge from just a single read. Like, it's like a great movie. Like if you watch inception, you have to watch that movie multiple times to really understand, all the details in that film.
0: The book that I've been told people have read the most or reread the most is Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm-hmm. The book that I've reread the most is Man's Search for Meaning Victor Viktor Frankl. I had an opportunity to fly from Amsterdam to Krakow and take a bus to Auschwitz mm-hmm. and was able to read that book again on my trek to. Auschwitz. And you can't read a more impactful book at a more impactful time. I mean, it was so powerful to read that and then and then walk the the hallowed grounds of Auschwitz. It was it was inspiring and it choked me up and and it's something I'll never forget. You know, I remember Jim Rohn saying, who I I almost consider Jim Rohn a mentor from my early 20s. I was a big fan of the art of exceptional living. And he talked about how when you become successful, part of success is lifestyle. And so he would give these examples of how someday you need to stare directly at the Mona Lisa. Someday you need to walk Auschwitz. Anyway, so that's kind of how I thought about it. Like part of life is living. And I was all about saving and investing. And, and I had to remind myself that part of life is lifestyle. And you have to figure out how to do things that add meaning to your life. And part of life is living, right? So if you get a big bonus check of $10,000, $20,000, if you're a big saver, an investor, you've got to force yourself to spend some money. Now I tell you one, I've tracked my expenses every dollar since I graduated college. But one expense that does not go in the expense column, it goes in the investment column, is books. Because I think you cannot spend too much money on books and it is an absolute investment. What I'm curious about is how you think of of opportunity cost as it pertains to books and time for reading.
1: Well, I think an opportunity cost. There are very few things that are worth more of your time than reading. Like I've I've used this great expression that no one ever regrets the time they spent reading, even if the book wasn't that great. Like, I'll, I'll regret, like, watching a Netflix series that isn't that great or playing video games or just spending the day on, like, social media. But I don't think I ever regretted, like, any time I spent reading. And when it comes to, like, opportunity, um, like, kind of figuring out, like, what books to read, like, you know, there's, there are, of course, some books that are worth or more valuable to you than other books. But it's kind of like you have to go through this journey of finding those great books and one one tip i always give to people is that it's okay to like quit a book like sometimes a book it might be great it might be have a fantastic author great like writing style lots of lessons but it's it's just not relevant to you and if you find yourself in a situation like that it's okay to drop a book and you know focus on other ones because there are literally millions and millions of books out there and there's so many great books waiting for you it doesn't make sense to read a book that isn't one you're enjoying or two doesn't provide practical advice for your specific situation. You're
0: a big proponent of skipping even within a book, right? If you see a few paragraphs that you know won't resonate or you won't enjoy, skip over it, right? But we have to untrain our minds because school has ruined so many potential readers.
1: Yeah, so I talk about this a lot. It's like we've learned all these bad reading habits from school. What I I like to say is like school teaches people how to read, but they don't teach people how to be readers. And those are two completely different things. It's like being literate literate and knowing how to read. But if you don't enjoy the process of reading, you know, it's not something you're going to do. So it's not enough that you know how to exercise. You actually have to do the exercise to get the benefits from it. And yeah, it's okay to quit books that you're not enjoying, it's okay to like skip books. Like I was reading this book earlier. And it's like, oh, I've seen this like story in like another book I read, so I know where this is going. So let me just skip ahead, and it's you know fine. Like, there's no, uh, there's a great book called I'd Rather Be Reading, and the author talks about that there's no book police. Like, no one's gonna come arrest mm-hmm. you, no one's gonna come find you. And yeah, it's like we have this you know feeling that we feel guilty or embarrassed that we shouldn't quit a book or skip a book, but it's all these like false rules and false like guidelines that we're following. That's making reading less enjoyable than it actually is. So yes, anyone listening, you have the freedom to quit a book, skip a book, skim a book, speed read a book. It's like, you know, it's your book. You can do what you want with it.
0: Great point. I remember as a kid, we had to do this multiple sclerosis readathon where we went door to door and asking people to sponsor us per book that we read. Did you have anything like that when you were a kid?
1: Yeah, so I remember we used to have like a gold star. So for each book you read, you would get like a gold star and then you could redeem it for like rewards. And if like everyone in the class read enough books, then we'd get like a pizza party or something. So definitely like an incentive to read more.
0: Talk about a, a cost benefit or a, some sort of paradox where there's huge benefit to going door to door and facing rejection, like asking for money as a, as a seven or an eight year old. But then the downside of, getting incentivized to complete books, like we're saying, school just has ruined so many readers because you feel this obligation to finish a book. And I'm sure not everybody who marked down since they were getting money for each book that they read. I'm, not, I'm sure not every kid read the entire book, right? They were probably cheating. Money tends to do that to people. So my favorite thing that you've produced recently is the Instagram Q&A that you did. It was a series of Instagram stories, and it was, it was such a wealth of knowledge. It started with, name a problem, and I will name a book that'll help. And I often find myself in this position, too, where I'm, re- I'm asked to recommend a book for a specific problem, not nearly as much as you, I'm sure. But some of the problems you mentioned were how to start a business from scratch, how to overcome fear, how to deal with cognitive biases, develop confidence, set personal boundaries in your life. And you have answers to all of those questions in this series. So I highly recommend those listening. Go to his Instagram and check this out. It's really cool. You even have one for how to improve your personality. Improving your personality is something I don't think many people consider. What have you learned about improving your personality? Are there any recommendations that you have for for improving your personality or a book that you can recommend?
1: Yeah, so there's a good book called uh, Personality Isn't Permanent. So I think Benjamin, um, Benjamin something, but yeah, book titles, uh, personality isn't permanent. And it it just talks about how a lot of these like personality tests are kind of uh, like outdated or aren't as accurate as we come to believe. And I've noticed like in my own life, like I used to think I was a super introverted person and like, I would just be like that forever. But you have to understand there's different like experiences that you could go through that could change your personality. And also if you like wanted bad enough and you like work towards changing who you are, like you could change your identity. Like I wasn't always a reader, but I became a reader. I, you know, I wasn't always a basketball player, but I became someone who loved basketball and into fitness. And like you could take actions to change who you are. I think there's a great book called also Mindset. Like a lot of people have this fixed mindset that I'm this person and I will be this person forever. And that's not true. But in order to change that about yourself, you need to have this growth growth mindset where you could believe that you could become, you know, a better a better version of yourself. That you could become different. That you could improve. So I think, yeah, my mindset and personality isn't permanent. Are two books uh, people should probably check out.
0: In my eighth grade religion class, I went to a, a private Catholic school. There was a, a sign on the wall that said, "Tomorrow is the first day of the rest of your life," and that always stuck with me because you're absolutely right. Tomorrow you get to decide who you want to be and if if t- tomorrow you decide you want to move to boston then you can really change everything about yourself so you do well to focus on some do some introspection or some journaling and and resolve your your past and get to know your inner child and why why you are the way you are and then hopefully once that's resolved then you can become whatever it is that you want to be you won't be weighed down by the past so yeah i love that you have book book recommendations for that because I truly think most people don't consider I can change my personality at any time
1: yeah You're totally right. and just, just to give another example like I grew up I had this terrible stutter I had to go like special ed classes like special English classes to get over it and I still have it every now and then but now here I am fast forward I have my own podcast where I interview like all these authors and everything and I would never have thought like that's who I could become in the future and like I'm like two completely different persons with different personalities and yeah, like you can make the change you want to, you just have to be willing to go through like that uncomfortable process of getting out of your comfort zone.
0: That is so true. And it, it takes some effort. The guy you mentioned earlier, uh, Joseph Wells lives in New York city. When I was in New York city, I made the effort to meet him and probably only because I made that effort. I am talking to you today. You, you, Develop yourself so that you can attract better people into your life. And I can't think of anything that would more enhance your circle of friends than improving your personality. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, you you attract what you become. And so that's why we talk about self-development so much on this podcast is because I, I truly believe that if you're the average of the five people that, that you spend the most time with, well, then you want to lift up the average <laughs>
1: And it's funny that that you say that because I also believe, like, you are the the person, like, you spend, you know, the five people you spend the most time with. But also, like, you end up lifting all boats. Like, I've noticed ever since I've really gotten to, like, reading and talking about reading and inspiring others to read, the closest people around me have started to become readers. Like, they'll come over to my house and be like, hey, Alex, can I borrow a book? You know, what would you recommend for this? And, like, three of my friends, they read, like, a book a month now. And before, like, they would never read books. So not only like, are you becoming better yourself, you bring up your friends with you. So that's like two, two uh, you know, benefits of improving yourself. Such a
0: great point. I'm 40 years old and my best childhood friend texted me about two months ago and said, I've never read a nonfiction book, can you recommend one for me? And the humility to say that, and I recommended How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I recommended Man's Search for Meaning, And he said since he had heard How to Win Friends the most on the podcast, he was going to grab that one first. So hopefully that book inspires him to get another one and another one. I have 20 somethings who ask me frequently, how do I get around better people? When I was 20 something, I mostly hung around with work colleagues and old high school and college friends. But now that I'm in my 30s, I have a different set of friends. I mean, I still have some of the same old friends, but those who didn't have a growth mindset, we kind of grew apart. And what happens is you tend to attract better people just by the value you provide. So if you're someone who has a wealth of knowledge about books or personal finance or personality or attracting women or whatever it is, when you're 34 years old, you realize that the guys who were getting their doctorates or you know studying to be an attorney or a doctor or whatever they were in school when you were 28 years old so they're not out at the bars meeting people they're not in these softball leagues or going to the gym because they're knee deep in in studying to get their certifications or whatever so a lot of times it just takes patience and what you want to do in your 20s is build yourself up so that you can attract better people when you're in your thirties. And then of course, as a man, your value tends to go up as you get older, right? Because you, you start to possess all of the characteristics that happen to attract women like intelligence and charisma and personality and all of that stuff can be developed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. totally agree. Like I noticed myself, like trying to build this business while working too has been hard. And like, you know, there's a lot of weekends I can't go out or week week days. I can't go out to just, you know, grab beer with friends and hang out. So I only have like this close group of friends that I grew up with and a couple of people like on Twitter that I kind of consider like business partners. And like, that's who I spend the time with. And I I don't really have time to like make new friends necessarily and socialize, but I'm seeing like the payoffs growing my business, growing the social media. And, you know, I rather work now while I'm in my twenties. And then when I'm in my thirties, I could kind of relax a little bit. And then maybe in the future, you know, start a family. Just, yeah, grinding in your 20s, you can kind of relax a little bit more in your 30s.
0: Work now, play later. I love it. And because of the power of compound interest, it's important in your 20s to allow compounding to take root. New York City might be the best place in the world to be single. Would you agree? <laughs>
1: uh, c- kind of, yeah. Li- there, there are a ton of people, but like right now with the COVID and the pandemic, you know, it's a little bit hard to like meet people and go out but yeah before uh, you know this whole thing happened it was, it was a great time there's so many places you can hang out
0: yeah i would think the the biggest upside would be options and the biggest downside would be options
1: <laughs> that's definitely true that's definitely true
0: but not having a car would be a pretty cool thing right you don't have to worry about drinking and driving
1: yeah yeah the one good thing about new york city you have the subway everywhere or you just uber and everything's super close
0: People are always tired and, and think they can do better. But if you can overcome that, I can I can see where it would be a great place to, to be single. How much do you think Twitter and Instagram has cut into your reading time?
1: <laughs> definitely a lot. And <laughs> I, I always think about this a lot because it is a balance. Like Twitter and Instagram is kind of like the marketing. Like I'm sharing people about my brand and, and you know, getting more followers. But it's also like cutting down to like my product time which is like reading and kind of developing either books or like horses or something I could build and like sell to so like grow business. So there's definitely a balance. Uh, I've noticed Twitter has paid off in multiple dividends. Like Twitter is this one social media platform I would pay to be on because there's so many intelligent people. Like just look at Elon Musk. He's not on Facebook. He's not on Instagram. He's not on TikTok, but he is on Twitter. And all like the executives, you know, the BCs, businessmen, all like if you have like digital products, especially you want to be on Twitter. There's so many smart people. And one thing I've been doing a lot is I've been sharing what I've learned as I go through like this process of building Alex and Books on Twitter. So one, I'm building this community, and I'm also getting feedback from people. When you're building a product, you always want to be testing it and getting feedback from people, especially this year, double down on Twitter. And Instagram is great because if you want to sell like beauty products or like fashion or something more with an image, and you know I've had a good response with books, I've gained like 60,000 followers but I notice people on Instagram kind of follow me more because they want to feel like they're reading, even though they may not be on Twitter. It's like people that are actually reading and want more like practical advice and want to dive deeper into books. So like each platform has pros and cons and it really depends on what you're trying to do that, and like which direction you're trying to go. Yeah. The
0: fastest way to learn something is to fail in public, right? <laughs> if you tweet something that is incorrect, you will quickly get a Twitter mob letting you know how wrong you are.
1: I would say like, If you curate your Twitter feed properly and you follow like intelligent people, people that you can learn from, it becomes like a positive social media where you're, you know, it's not just you're scrolling mindlessly, you're educating yourself. And you really have to be careful who you follow because that's kind of, that becomes the information you consume. So just like with food, if you're eating organic food, you're going to get great results. But if you're following people that are just, you know, always complaining about life or just arguing politics endlessly, or just talking about sports you may not get as much value as you want. And you may want to reconsider who you're following.
0: God, is that true? I was listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast. He had Hugh Jackman on. And Hugh Jackman said that he and his wife read to each other every day. And so I started incorporating that. My wife and I will set the timer for 15 minutes. And we've gotten through, we're on our third book. We only started doing it maybe a month, maybe six weeks ago. We're reading Stillness is the Key now. We're reading Navalmanac and we've read Chop Wood, Carry Water, and we get so many more books read because we take this 30 minutes out of our day and and read to each other. One question I have for you, well, let me ask you two questions. Could you could you date somebody who isn't a reader? And my next question is, do you read aloud every once in a while?
1: Uh, I'll answer the second one first. One of those reasons like to kind of grow my personality and become a better speaker is one, like no one was home, I would read the books out loud. And you know, although it's like a super slow process of reading, if you want to practice your speech, that's a great way to do it. And then the second one, there have been like girls I dated that weren't like readers or weren't like even hardcore readers. But as long as you're, you know, curious about something, as long as you're k- kind of interested in books when I talk about it, or, you know, we talk about it every now and then, it doesn't have to be the topic 24 seven. But you know, if you read like one book every couple months, that's fine. Like you don't have to be a book nerd like myself.
0: What is the Instagram feature that you've used the most lately?
1: Instagram Reels. What is Instagram Reels? So my hypothesis here is because a couple months ago or a month ago, there was a whole thing about TikTok getting banned and creators were getting kind of worried, like TikTok's going to disappear, where are we going to go? So Instagram said, we're going to create a similar feature, which is Instagram Reels, which is like 15, 30-second videos. They're basically copying TikTok. And yeah, it's just like short videos. And they've really been pushing it. So even if you're not following someone, if your, vid, your Instagram reel could appear on someone's Explore page and they put your name right next to the video. So they make it super easy to follow. So like in the past month, I've been doing a whole bunch of Instagram reels and I went from like 50,000 followers to 60,000 followers in just like a month. So they've really been pushing that feature. So if you want to grow on Instagram, you definitely want to try out that.
0: That's awesome. Are you a fan of note taking apps?
1: Yeah, so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm experimenting with different ones. I've been a big like Evernote guy, but I know there's like Notion and Obsidian and Rome. But one thing I'm worried about is that people are making note-taking overly complex. Well, specifically when it comes to reading, it's about getting the like, key takeaways, finding out how you could apply that to your life, and then actually doing the work. I feel like it's becoming this advanced form or sophisticated form of procrastination where let's make this super complex note taking uh, system and have all this information, but let's not do the hard part of applying what we learn to our life. So, yeah, I, I'm like, a, I just try to keep it simple with every note. And yeah, I feel like that, that will give me 80% of the results with only 20% of the effort.
0: So, the active reading that you do is highlighting and going back after each chapter and taking a few notes? Do you also write in the margins? Tell me about your active reading. Yes.
1: Yeah, so what I like to say is, you want to be an active reader. Like it's not like passive, like you're watching a movie. You want to be involved with the book. So that means like asking questions, like why am I reading this? What do I want to get out of it? Always having a pen and a highlighter when you're reading. You know, when you highlight something that you find interesting, whether it be like an insight, a quote, or a piece of advice, you want to go to like the front cover of the book. And what I like to do is create like a custom index. So on page 16, here's a great quote about reading from Benjamin Franklin. Or like on page 18, here's a great piece of advice I should you know, apply to my life. And at the end of each chapter, you kind of want to think about, okay, what did I read? And let me ch- just jot down two or three like key takeaways that I learned. And if you do that throughout the book, at the end of the book, you could kind of look back and say, okay, here are like the five most important things I learned from this book. And you write on the back cover. And then you ask yourself, how can I apply this advice So you have like this note-taking process where you're engaged in the book while reading it. And then once you're done with the book, you know like the key points. Then you try to figure out, how can I apply this to my life to uh, improve it?
0: You're 25 years old, correct? Yeah. Why not stop reading for the next six years and reread books that you've already read and not pick up another fresh new book until you're 31?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I think one would be, I do enjoy like reading new books. I mean, I've read only like 150 books and there's so many great books out there. Not even maybe just new books, but existing books that I still haven't read. Uh, another one is because I have like this podcast where I enjoy talking with authors. Usually they'll only come on if you promote their latest book, not like a great book that they wrote like 10 years ago. You know, even though it's like a fantastic book that you love, It's like they've talked about it for years, so they don't want to talk about something new. But I think you could have a balance. So maybe like for every three or four new books you read, you read one old book. And so that way it's not just completely new material, but you're also revisiting the books that change your life and trying to see like, what else can I get out of this great book that had a big impact on me earlier?
0: Have you had trouble niching down?
1: No, I I would say it's really, my niche is just following my curiosity. So the interesting thing is like when I first created Alex and Books, it was more of a general website for like college students. And it was only like a few book recommendations here and there. But as I started reading more, I became more and more fascinated by reading. And I went from just reading reviews and reading recommendations to books about books and how to become a better reader. And my whole journey has been just following my curiosity and seeing how far does rabbit hole go. So like I bought the book, How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler. And then they also have like this DVD, which was like extra $32. And like I couldn't find it online. So I'm going to order it. And so I just want to keep learning and like just sharing all the information I learned. And, you know, I'm just happy to go on this intellectual journey. And I just want to see where it ends up.
0: My biggest takeaway from How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler was that he advocates for going to the back of the book and reading the end (laughs) and then deciding if because of opportunity cost, deciding if you then want to invest all the hours of reading the book. What was your biggest takeaway from how to read a book?
1: It would probably be just like the active reading process of it. Like, I think too many people are just like, okay, here's this book. I'm just going to read through it. Okay, I finished it and I'm done. And like, Mortimer adler talks about like how, you know, highlighting and taking notes, asking questions, like what do you want out of this book? Why are you reading this book? And this whole like flip the switch, reading is kind of like playing baseball, like there's catch and throw between you and the author. And you guys are both involved in like this game. It's a lot more active than people really think of it.
0: So I don't know how much you know about me, but my wife and I have been traveling the world for several years. And I actually take a small suitcase and pay for the baggage fee because I love physical books for one. But I feel like the investment of 25 or $50, whatever it cost each leg of our trip is worth it because I I see it as an investment in my reading. Which do you prefer to read? Is it on Kindle or do you prefer a physical book?
1: I understand physical books. Do you read on Kindle at all? I've experimented reading on my phone. I haven't tried a Kindle, but I've also tried audiobooks. But I feel like the biggest pro of reading physical books is, well, one, like you could always pull it off your bookshelf and just flip through the notes and it's easier to find things. And just like, you know, I'm looking at screens all day at work at my laptop and I'm looking at my phone on social media. And it's like, I want to get away from the screens. I just want to have a, a print book that I can carry anywhere. Like, I love reading on the beach or reading in the park. Like, I don't want to be always have like an electronic device on me. That's a
0: good point. I'm the same way. I also think in the process of trying to get to know myself, one of the things that I've learned about me is that I have this spatial memory where I can remember parts of a book, as long as it's a physical book, like I can remember where in the book that I read it and quickly flip to it and find it. Whereas when I'm reading something on Kindle, I can't even tell you what book I'm reading. You know, like somebody asks me, hey, what books on your nightstand right now? And if I'm reading Kindle, I can't even remember who the author is or what the sometimes what even the name of the book is, much less if I had to go back and find a paragraph, all the pages look the same on a Kindle. So I see all sorts of downsides. Of course, the upside is I would save on baggage fees.
1: I think uh, another benefit is like, if you take notes in your books, they really become like these journals and like, like placeholders in your life. Like I could look back, like I always write my name and the date in every book that I start and like the date I finish it. And I could look back it's like, oh, this last year I read this book and this is why like I've implemented changes in my life. Like ever since I read Discipline Equals Freedom by Jocko Willen, I started exercising more. And I could see the changes in my life and the books that play that role. And yeah, like you I I take a lot of notes in my in my in my books and I can see like, oh yeah, I remember I learned this from this book. And like you can make these connections, which is a lot harder to do on like a Kindle, and it's a lot harder to take notes on it.
0: One of the most rewarding things you can do in life is teach someone to read. I had the opportunity to do that in Africa a few years ago. And anything that promotes literacy or promotes reading. I just love it because I think much like handwriting reading is going the way of the typewriter. It's just becoming an obsolete thing and I hope that people like you can can bring it back. So, personal finance wise, you you said Rich Dad Poor Dad and The Richest Man in Babylon earlier. Yeah. Are those your two favorite personal finance books?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, those are great starter books to begin with if you're just new to the personal finance space. Um, I really enjoyed The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel and then The Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DeMarco, I believe.
0: What was your biggest takeaway from The Psychology of Money?
1: And it's not just money that people want, it's that the time that they want. And Morgan told his great story. I think his first job out of college was as an investment banker. And he was making like six figures, like great, great money right out of college the thing is, he was working like six, seven days a week, like 10 to 12 hours. And like, you realize it wasn't money that he was after, it's like, of course, you want to have like a decent income, but you also want to have plenty of time. Like it, it, a lot of people say they want to have like make a million dollars a year, but I don't think they realize that they, they wouldn't want that money if it required them working like 80 hours a week. So I think it's separating this idea of it's not just money that you want, but you also want the freedom that money brings you. So like, I enjoy, I rather enjoy a life where I have more time and maybe a lower income than having twice as much money, but having, you know, half as much time. So it's like having this balance of both.
0: Great point. I worked in software and selling software and selling real estate in my twenties and early thirties. And so I had two jobs and everything was about maximizing productivity. How much could I put into an hour? like if you're idle for even a moment well you better be scrolling your email like I I didn't take a piss without looking at my phone when I was working in software and real estate you just had all these accounts and all these these prospects but you were always prospecting for new business it's almost like as a byproduct of being a successful businessman you have to always be on you know with the advent of uh, Blackberries and iPhones, you could no longer leave it at work, right? You were always on. Your boss would send you emails at 11.30 p.m. and you'll look like a lazy bum if you're not answering until 7.15 a.m. the next morning. So yeah, that's that's probably why Morgan Housel resonates with me too. I like how he talks about on the couch, you do a lot of reading and his wife doesn't know that he's reading to help his writing or when you're going for a walk that's when a that's when 80% of writing is done so it's such an interesting time where if you're even scrolling your phone you could be reading a collaborative fun article that you found on Twitter that can help you at work and help you provide for your family but to someone who's walking by it looks like you might be looking at thoughts on Instagram right so yeah. Uh, it's tough, man, because we do so much on our phone. I mean, we're all addicted, right, to our phones. It's just to the to what extent are you addicted? Yeah. And you don't have like a nine to five job, right?
1: No. So, well, the fortunate thing about podcast notes is that we all work remotely and it's really, you know, asynchronous. So it's like, hey, here are the podcasts we want to cover. Here's like the articles and other content we're working on. You know, just, just get it done. Make sure like these people are happy. Make sure it's done on time. And it's, like, as long as you work, get your work done, you can work, like, really, like, any hours you want.
0: That is great. So you've never had a salary?
1: Well, so I've actually worked, like, throughout college. I've had, like, seven internships. So I've worked at Discovery Channel, uh, SAP, Ping, Random House, uh, this consulting firm. I've also worked as like, a News Reporter. So I've worked, like, in the office, but I've never done, like, a five-days, 40-hour-a-week work because I just knew, like, Personally, that wasn't for me and like, I just had to figure out a way out of it. And that's why I went to like grad school to try to figure out, kind of stall and try to figure out what I wanted to do with my life.
0: <laughs> so your primary source of income is is podcast notes. Yeah. Okay, and so Alex and Books would be your side hustle. Yeah. And without giving too much away, I, I assume at some point Alex and Books is going to be your full-time gig.
1: Oh, Ho- hopefully I'm working on, like we mentioned earlier, you know, building courses eventually writing a book, working on getting merchandise out there and just, you know, inspiring more people to read, teaching them how to read better. And yeah, I just want to make like a full-time living just reading and writing books. That's really the end goal in life. Beautiful.
0: And you're starting to get some big time names on the podcast, like Morgan Housel, James Altucher, to name just a few. Have you had anyone that's wanted to be paid to come on your show?
1: No. And even if they did, I I probably couldn't afford them. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. How much prep do you do for guests?
1: Oh, it's definitely like, you know, reading the book a full time. And then once I read the book, it's like, okay, I love this book. I want to get the author on. And then usually it takes like a month or two to get them on. And then I kind of have to like go through my notes and like look through, kind of read it again and, you know, write down like questions. So it definitely takes, it definitely takes a few hours just to prep for the podcast. So maybe just like two, two, to, two to three hours, not including all the reading time.
0: Do you have a goal to be wealthy someday so that you can spend all your time reading and learning?
1: Uh, I think of course I I would want to be wealthy, but more than that, it's not like just having a ton of money It's having enough money. It's like, if I just, if all I do is read books and like interview authors and inspire people to read more, and that's like my job and I'm working like 20, 30 hours a week, you know, I'll be satisfied with that. Like I, I don't need millions. I don't need billions. I just need enough money to have a decent place to live, uh, you know, a big place for my library. And, you know, I'll be pretty satisfied.
0: Love it. So do you save and invest some of your money?
1: Oh, 100%. So yeah, I try to, like we talked about earlier, the compound effect and reading all these financial books. You know, I have like all this money that I kind of put into my uh, investments in accounts and I just don't touch, just let that compound. Then I also have money that like I spend to like grow my business, you know, try to find ways like, you know, buying this mic so I can have a podcast. Sometimes you have to spend money to make money. And yeah, so trying to invest but also save at the same time.
0: Index funds, is that what
1: you do? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, Like, yeah, index funds, and I also have, like, Wealthfront that I use. Do you have time for some fun questions? Yeah, of course. always have time for fun. Social
0: media, net positive or net negative for society?
1: For society, maybe net negative. For individuals that know how to use it to their benefits, net positive.
0: Good answer. Do you think not wanting something is as good as having it? Yeah. If you could go to the moon at a cost of $25,000, but you had to go alone and be gone for 4 months, would you go on that trip?
1: Probably not, not much to do there yet.
0: <laughs> well, I was thinking you would go because it would be so much time to read and be introspective.
1: I don't think I, I don't know how good like the internet service is and I don't think Amazon delivers <laughs> to the moon yet. <laughs>
0: If somebody gave you a hundred thousand dollars and forced you to invest it in three companies—Amazon, Apple, and Tesla—how would you allocate the hundred thousand?
1: I would say, let me go sixty percent Tesla and split it split it twenty percent among the other two companies.
0: So, if you were to have gone to the moon, if you had said yes, and you could bring three books with you, which three would they be?
1: Um. One, the Bible, because I haven't read it yet, and I know that would keep me busy for a long time. Uh, two, the Daily Stoic. You need some philosophy if you're going to be by yourself to keep you sane and like not question life too much. And three, if I could get an early copy of Jordan Peterson's new book, I would take that with me.
0: That is such a great answer. The Bible, Ryan Holiday's The Daily Stoic, and Jordan Peterson's new book. I noticed where he put out a video saying he's feeling better and he's getting back to work. Was he writing that book while he's been out?
1: Yes, yeah, so I believe he was, he was uh, in the process of like editing it, and hopefully it's going to come out in uh, Q2020, first quarter of 2021. Um, yeah, so he, glad to see he's hel- healthy and doing better.
0: The number of young men that he's impacted. Is there something that resonates most from Jordan Peterson?
1: Funny story. I actually sold my Xbox to go see him, so, like, the VIP tickets to see him was, like, like, $200 plus tax. Something came out to almost $300. And, you know, talking about saving and investing, like, I didn't want to take money out. So, I'm like, you know, I knew, I knew this was an inflection point in my life. Like, I keep playing video games, keep having my fun, but not being, you know, productive in my life and not building my 20s. Or I could sell this Xbox, stop playing video games once and for all, go meet this man that, like, changed my life. And it was probably the best decision I ever made. And, like, meeting him. And telling him about Alex and books, and he was so inspired. He's like, "Great job, keep it doing." And like, one of my dream goals has been to like get him on the podcast. So that's one of the main reasons I started uh, my own podcast. And just all the lessons he shared in his book. Um, probably the one that had the most impact on me was um, there's a great quote that he says from Carl Jung. It's like, for a tree's uh, branches to reach to heaven, the roots must must uh, reach to hell. And it's like you have to have this balance as a person of like this good in you and this evil in you. And like knowing how to, you know, be a strong person when you need to and knowing like when to be a good person and like just as balanced as a, uh, as like a human being. And like, it's just, like the entire book just changed my life.
0: I'm also a fan. And I, I, I do like when he talks about, understanding your capacity for great evil before you can do great good. There's, there's so many truths to his teachings. And another example would be how Jesus was, was crucified for a reason. I mean, there's a reason that someone who was not guilty was unfairly nailed to a cross, you know, things like that.
1: Yeah, I think another great example would be like someone else I highly look up to, Jocko Willing. And here's this Navy SEAL that has been in combat and been in war and, you know, probably, you know, killed or eliminated, you know, terrorists or people, insurgents. And now he's like this author, writer, podcaster, and, you know, inspiring people to become better and improve their lives. And like, you have to have this balance of like this, you know, when to do good, when to, and sometimes use good as a force to, you know, defeating evil.
0: So true. There's meaning and responsibility is another thing he preaches that I'm a big fan of. If somebody dropped a million dollars in your lap tomorrow, what would you do with it?
1: Off the top of my head, probably give like a quarter of it to my parents just to thank them for everything they did. Uh, Put like 1% in Bitcoin, um, like the rest 80% in like Wealthfront and then 20% like in like Tesla and other like tech growth stocks.
0: And when you say put money in Wealthfront, is that a diversified fund?
1: Yeah, they basically just divers- diversify the money for you for like index funds, ETF, and like kind of just, you know, safe assets.
0: So you think Bitcoin is more likely to go to 100000 than it is to zero?
1: Uh, I, I just remember someone said like, if you, if you believe it has like 1% chance of working, which it probably does, just put like 1% of your assets in it. So, you know, 1% is not going to, you know, kill your bank account. You know, if it goes up, it goes up. If it goes down, it goes down, you know just like 1% just to like hedge your butt.
0: I like to do this little thing called overrated, underrated. I'm going to give you a name. You tell me if they're overrated or underrated. Maria Bartiromo.
1: I don't know who that is. Taylor Swift. I I don't listen to her music, so I don't know.
0: (laughs) Malcolm Gladwell.
1: I would say slightly overrated.
0: Ryan Holiday.
1: I think he's fairly rated, great guy.
0: Anthony I Actually,
1: have have his books? Haven't gotten to them yet, so can't say.
0: Author Schopenhauer.
1: Uh, I also have a copy of his book. Haven't read it yet, but I love his quotes, so I would say he's well rated. Michael Lewis. Uh, I've only read one of his books, and I enjoyed it, so I would say he's you know equally rated. Joe Rogan. Uh, I love Joe. He's a uh, he's one of my favorite podcasters.
0: Will Durant.
1: Yeah, I just got his, like, uh, history book. I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to that one.
0: Well, I probably should have asked you, do you have any questions for me? Do you have a a pressing question that you would love to ask me?
1: How do you balance, one, like, saving and investing your money versus, like, investing it or, like, spending your money to kind of, like, grow your business? Because I feel like maybe I could get more, like, time by hiring someone to, like, edit my podcast or, like, do something else for me. But then, like, I'd be taking money out of, like, You know, like investing and that kind of disrupts the compound interest of it.
0: Well, that is an investment. So think of your finances holistically, in that if you have a net worth of $10,000, how much of your net worth are you going to allocate towards the investment that is your podcast? So I would view it as view it the same way you would college or education. Am I going to spend money on tuition for this return on investment? If you're going to spend the majority of your day doing podcasting and growing your Instagram, well, I would probably come up with a percentage that is pretty high as to what I'm going to allocate toward my my personal business. So yeah, I'd probably throw a thousand bucks, maybe fifteen hundred, if I had ten thousand dollars toward growing my business.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you know, I grew up like my family are immigrants who came from Poland, so I kind of grew up poor. So I like kind of just have this like save every dime kind of mindset and do everything yourself. But I'm noticing like for like the merchandise I'm trying to create, like I had to hire a graphic designer that's just like out of my league and like I had to spend like three, $400 for that. And you you know, but if I sell you know, 30 or 40 t-shirts, it's like you just made your money right back. So yeah, I think I'm just trying to get out of this like mindset where you just try to save every penny.
0: Yeah. And it's hard to do, but you've got to treat this as its own entity with its own profit and loss. So as an example, I'm a fire guy, right? I'm financially independent, retire early. Well, I tried to hire somebody to help me and the guy wanted like $750 per what he was trying to help me with. And he knew that I'm one of these fire guys. And I'm like, hey, look, it's not like you get a percentage of what I'm worth. This, the reason I'm, I have been successful in investing is because each thing that I do has its own profit and loss. So I'm a coach. I have expenses for that. I have income for that. I have a podcast, I have expenses for that, I have income for that, right? So that's how that's how you, you can think about it and build wealth because you want each of them to grow and then opportunity cost applies, right? So every dollar you put into the podcast can't be put into VTSAX, like a, a Vanguard total stock market index, right? An index
1: fund. And then I guess my last question, so like, you know, I'm eating healthy, I'm exercising, I'm reading books. I feel like I'm doing a lot of things right, but I'm sure I'm missing out on something. Is there anything from like, Your perspective that, like, maybe you wish you did earlier in your 20s, or anything you could see, like, I I might could optimize on or improve on?
0: There were a lot of things that I did right, and it's because of the things I did wrong in college. So, I was trying to preempt any terrible decisions by picking the brains of people who were older and wiser than me, so that when I was in my 30s, I wouldn't look back and have regrets. I probably would have traveled a little bit, as as crazy as that is to say, because I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't hadn't worked so hard and and made so much money. And I was only able to do that because, I I mean, I just worked my tail off. I took one week-long vacation, my first 10 years of of working, and that one week-long vacation was only because my employer was paying for the plane ticket to and from. So in hindsight, I've learned so much having been to over 60 countries now, I've learned so much immersing myself in different cultures that if I were you, I would try to figure out a way to do my job remotely in another country so that I could have that experience. To, To give you another quick example, when I was 35, I went to learn Spanish in a Spanish speaking country and the kids in my class were all like 21 years old, and they would go out and get hammered the night before, show up to class, and you could, it just reeked, the whole classroom reeked of alcohol, but they were doing laps around me, and I was going home and studying at night, so my brain just is is not, it doesn't pick up foreign languages nearly as quickly at 35 as it would at 21, so that is something that I would have started at an at an earlier age
1: that's great advice and yeah i think that's one thing i definitely want to do is like travel more see more places you know try different experiences you know meet new people and once you find those people that you know you just love double down on that and then it's just staying the course and letting compound interest you know eventually build up
0: alex i really appreciate you being here man how can people connect with you online and follow you
1: yeah so best way to find me instagram and twitter at Books. Uh, my website, alexandbooks.com, and uh, my podcast, uh, The Reader Journey, if you want to listen to me uh, interview authors and talk about books that I've enjoyed.
0: I'm an investor. Is is there a way that I can buy stock in you?
1: <laughs> Not yet, but just supporting uh, the Alex and Books mission by following me on social media, sharing, spreading the word about like the podcast and the work I'm doing is you know the, the, the best way to pay it forward. Awesome. Thanks, dude.
0: I appreciate it. Friends, thank you for tuning in. It means so much to me that you choose to spend your time with us. If you enjoyed this episode with Alex, please copy the link and share it with a friend. And to further support the show, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. I think when you see a bunch of five-star ratings and positive reviews on a podcast that you're more likely to hit the play button. And in that way, your review is helping others to learn some of the great things that, that Alex and I are learning by having a podcast and getting to talk with very sharp guests like Alex. Oh,